Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, and really excited that you could join us again today for another episode. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. Hey, that's my company. Uh, OMG Commerce is the primary underwriter of the e-commerce evolution podcast, and we're excited to do that, excited to bring this content to you. A quick offer from OMG Commerce. We are a Google Premier Partner, so we're in the top 3% of all Google partners, one of the fastest growing in the world last year. Uh, if you would like a second set of eyes on your Google campaigns, whether that's Google Shopping, Search, YouTube, Remarketing, or the like, we would love to talk to you. Love to schedule a strategy session, love to look at your campaigns and provide ideas for improvement. Also, Amazon. We would love to talk to you about your Amazon ad strategy and have an Amazon audit for you, uh, complimentary for listeners of the e-commerce evolution podcast. Our Amazon department is led by Mr. Chris Tyler to find out more about the way we approach Amazon campaigns. Go back and check out episode 39 as we do a deep dive and look at Amazon advertising. But we would love to help you with either of those traffic sources. And so if you're interested, go to omgcommerce.com, click on any of the services, and there's a quick form to fill out right there. And now back to the show. I'm pumped about today's episode for a couple of reasons. One, I love the topic. And two, the guest is pretty darn cool as well. So uh, now I believe we've had this guest on one other time, uh, but Chris Brewer is actually my business partner. He's the co-founder of OMG Commerce. We partnered together back in 2010 to start building this business. Part of that, we worked on projects and other fun stuff together as well. So I don't think, I think the last time I had you on, Chris, we just dove right into content. I don't think I had you give your background. So first of all, welcome to the show. And second of all, why don't you give us the, the quick Chris Brewer story? Hey, it's, it's good to be here. Any amount of time, Brett, that I can be on your podcast, it's, <laughs> it's just a, quite a pleasure. You know, I typically just real hide, I hide in the shadows here and let your star shine brightly <laughs> across the e-commerce planes. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've been an entrepreneur, gosh, I don't know. 30, 30 15, years, maybe? 15 oh, years. Or I, was so. to, I was trying to make you feel old. Yeah, probably 15. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. So I, I always gauge how many years I've been an entrepreneur from how many years I've been married because I kind of got into my first entrepreneurial endeavor about a year, year and a half after getting married and kind of getting shook up with a company getting bought out and just decided to kind of go out on my own. So I've, I've owned an outdoor advertising company. I've owned a direct mail company. I've had a miserable failure with an interior decorating company. And do, do you see how those don't match up too well? You have marketing, marketing and interior design. I remember just, the interior design and I remember this was when we were not business partners, but friends. And I was wondering what the heck you were thinking, but yeah, cool. we, yeah. we all have those, right? Yeah. We, and it was an epic failure and it was a, a really good learning experience. And then I've also been a part of a national franchise group, been a marketing director there had some corporate experience and that made me realize how much I love being an entrepreneur after being in the corporate world for a very short time. And then seven years ago, seven, eight years, eight years ago, I guess you and I conspired at a conference in Dallas, did the old scratching on a notepad with an idea. And here we are today. Boom. OMG was born, uh, started as a project, as a little, just a little idea. 
and then has blossomed into to quite the enterprise. So yeah, well, appreciate the background and awesome to have you on. Uh, a quick backdrop as to why we're doing this episode. So our topic today is the 10 X factors that separate successful e-commerce businesses from unsuccessful e-commerce businesses. And this is based on our observ- observation, right? This is based on uh, what we see working. And, and, and it's been so interesting. So last month was our busiest month ever in terms of adding new business for our agency. And so it was like a, a marathon day after marathon day for Chris and I in our, in our own offices, on calls, on go-to meetings, consulting, coming up with plans, closing deals, things like that. Uh, but, you know, over the course of, you know, our years in business and, and the last eight years focused, you know, almost solely on, on e-commerce, we've seen a lot of good and bad and ugly. And so we just decided, hey, wouldn't it be kind of fun if we distilled it, if we each picked five, five X factors from our observation of what it takes to make a successful e-commerce business? So we'll both have five uh, we'll kind of go back and forth. We'll, we'll each share one, maybe have a little bit of sparring back and forth on that topic, and then we'll move on to the next. So you ready, Brewer? I'm ready. And I think I would say for any regular podcast listeners, if you have been in e-commerce for a while, you still need to listen to this. This is not just a, if you're thinking about starting a store or you're new, these are ones that you and I have heard some some pretty disastrous things come out of the mouths of, of actually some very experienced and successful store owners. And we've got a couple of those kind of stories and anecdotes tucked in here today. So make sure you listen, even if you're a very seasoned e-commerce veteran. Absolutely. This is for everybody. And it's kind of one of those things where where the fundamentals never get old. And we're also going beyond the fundamentals, but it's one of those things, you know, I coach basketball, Chris, I coach uh, uh, JV, and then I help with a, a varsity team too, uh, in my spare time, which I don't have. Um, but it's funny, like some of the things, some of the tips we give our boys as we're coaching are the same tips that NBA players get, you know, things like follow your shot and block, you know, box out and move your feet. But we're going to, we're going to go beyond that here. But yes, this is for the seasoned e-commerce store owner as well as the uh, the startup. And so with that, let's dive right in. And so the, the number one, uh, and these are not in any particular order. So I, I did not wait mine. I don't know if you did yours, Chris. Uh, but my first one is successful e-commerce companies are more focused on building customers than they are building sales. And so that may sound a little nuanced and that may not be instantly clear what I mean. So let me, let me elaborate. So the successful businesses are more concerned about uh, customer acquisition and customer attraction. And, and the, the, the good long-term businesses that are going to succeed over the next five or 10 years are those that see that their customers are their biggest asset. So uh, quick juxtaposition, if, if I might. Uh, some companies are, are focused on maximizing sales. So they're all about how do I get the most profit from each individual sale? While some companies are more focused on how do I maximize customer attraction and customer retention and getting the best customers to my business. And so where this may come into play is let's just let's take advertising as an example. And we're we're a Google agency, so a lot of our time is spent with the Google platform. So let's take someone who's on the maximize sales. Uh, line of thinking. If they're giving us goals and they're saying, hey, I want you to run Google Shopping, Google, Google Search, 
and I want you to get a 10x return on my spend. Now, that is possible in some situations, and I know there are some scenarios based on people's margins and things where a 10, 10x return or a 10 return on ad spend is necessary. But here's what happens. If you are too focused on maximizing profit on each sale, you're going to limit growth. You're going to restrict your campaigns. You're going to limit how many people you can attract and how many people you can get into your funnel. It's just going to be limiting. And so we, we've looked at different scenarios where we've ran the numbers on, you know, if you have an eight return on ad spend versus a, a five return on ad spend or an eight return on ad spend versus a four return on ad spend, often you can make double or triple the total amount of profit with that lower return on ad spend than you can with the higher return on ad spend. So with the higher return on ad spend, you got, you got great margins, there's a great percentage return, but your overall return is limited. And so, you know, there's no cookie cutter answer. There's no one percentage that's right for everybody. But I found, I think we found as we've talked to successful businesses, those that are, are really growing and those that are going to be viable and either uh, will produce cash for a long time or that will achieve that, that big buyout that some owners are wanting. Those are the companies that are focused on building a customer and not just maximizing and squeezing all the profit they can out of each sale. Any, any thoughts on that, Chris? Anything you would, you would follow up with that on or anything you would disagree with me on that? Well, I know you didn't weight your examples, but I think that's a good one to lead with because if, if you are not focused on customer growth, then everything else, it really doesn't matter because just like everything that you said, and, and we do see folks get too focused on sales and they never, they kind of miss the volume. By, by doing that sometimes. Yep. And, and it's, it's one of those things where if I'm so focused, I'm so myopic on my return on ad spend, then I may look at certain campaigns and desire to shut them off and close those campaigns or, or greatly reduce them because I'm not seeing the immediate return on ad spend. Whereas our approach, you know, as we look at, a, you know, building a full funnel kind of portfolio approach of campaigns, there are some campaigns at the top of our funnel where we're just getting people in that kind of awareness stage, just beginning their shopping process, where those campaigns are critical to feeding the, the campaigns in the lower part of our, our funnel. Uh, but if you're so focused on maximizing profits on each individual sale, you might miss those campaigns and, and so limit your growth. So focus on building customers, not just maximizing profits. That's number one. Number two is you, Chris, what do you got? I just want to say, Brett, that I know why that you chose to go first. And mainly it's because you you liked to steal the two words that I had planned for my number two, which was yes. juxtaposition and myopic. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know where juxtaposition came from. I, I mean, I know that word, but I'm not sure where that the deep recesses of my my subconscious. I was I was grabbing for my phone to go. Okay, uh, I think I know where he's coming from. It's, it's, it's more of a contrasting of two things that are very different. So like, yes. a, like an old building that's sitting right next to a brand new building. That's a juxtaposition. Sorry to get like literary and... and oh, no, hey, it, it's okay. It's okay. The I'll just have to come up with some, some new words for the rest of, of the podcast. So never... My number two is never assume that Facebook success will translate instantly to Google success and vice versa. We saw Brett so many instances 
of this. I don't know what it was about late 2017. I kind of have a good idea. I mean, if you saw the news, Zuckerberg came out first of the year, talked about, you know, essentially how organic posts for businesses are are completely dead. If you haven't woken up to that in the last two years, but that we see a lot of e-commerce success stories on Facebook, right? And and people who have come up with a, a great product idea or they had something launch on Kickstarter and it was amazing. And then they started pushing out on Facebook. And what we find there is that they had a lot of, of success fairly easily and had great CPAs with what they were doing on Facebook and, and kind of instant gratification and a lot of, gosh, I was spending this much on Facebook every single day. I mean, I heard a number of $30,000 a day at one point last fall, and that individual could now no longer spend more than $5,000 because his sales had just dissipated with with some of the changes that had happened in his business and, and the and way wore, that he- wore out some audiences and things like wore that. Wore out yes. audiences, yeah, things like that. So. And then they come to to us, they've heard about us, they've heard your podcast or read an article, and they come to us and say, hey, I, I really realize I can't be a one-trick pony anymore. I need to I need to make sure I expand over into Google. And the hardest part for us, I think, is just helping them hear and really let it settle into them that this is like starting over on Google especially if you don't have a lot of brand awareness that it was just a product awareness. That's that impulse buy that happens on Facebook. You see it, you see it maybe on a video in action. You want it. You may not even be that familiar with the brand. You just purchase it. You don't go into a research phase and, and going onto YouTube and looking at different ways that this product can be into action and reading articles and blogs and then comparing prices on Google shopping that just doesn't really happen on Facebook. And so helping the store owner understand that when you come over to Google, you got to think about really starting over with your store and how can we grow audiences on Google in a way that, that fills that top of the funnel and then the middle, and then it gets down to the bottom. And, and sometimes that requires capital that requires an ability to stay the course while you're scaling up your campaigns and then vice versa, if you've had a lot of success on Google, and we find this sometimes with stores that have had organic success, their stores rank really well organically. They haven't had to do a whole lot maybe with their Google campaigns. And so then they go over into Facebook and they expect their brand awareness that they have so big on Google to maybe translate over into Facebook. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I think the the biggest thing that we see is that move from Facebook over to Google and that it really requires a different mind set shift and also to look at your CPAs and your ROAS in a, in a totally new level. And one of the, the biggest considerations there is just the way the two platforms measure conversions. And that that's something that, that people, if you don't know, then that can really throw you for a loop. So if you were to look at your Facebook results in the Facebook platform versus what Google Analytics says Facebook is doing for you, those numbers are, are vastly different. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle or leaning more towards the way Facebook reports it. But it's not that really either one is right or wrong. It's just a different way of measuring. So Facebook is always going to measure view-through conversions. 
they're also going to uh, measure cross-channel and cross-device. So if, if someone clicks on your Facebook ad, they don't buy immediately, but then they do buy within a given window, Facebook's going to take credit for that. Where in Google Analytics, the default is last click. So whatever that last click source of traffic is before I purchase, whether that was you know organic or direct, even if a Facebook ad you know uh, led to that person visiting your site in the first place, Whatever the last click source is is going to get all the credit, and so it's one of those one of those things where you know we have to educate, or 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 the agency or marketing uh, person has to just understand the numbers so that you can create good measurement uh, between the two channels. But yeah, that, that's that's a great tip, Chris. You know there is a, a pretty big difference between the two, and and we just got to understand that. So um, awesome. Number three, uh, the most successful e-commerce businesses are those that own their own products and own their own brands. So rather than just being a drop shipper, rather than just selling other people's goods, I believe the the companies with the greatest chance of of longevity and and success into the future and those that that, that may get that big buyout, you know, from a huge brand or just have a brand that's that's long-term and then spinning off cash, you know, for years and years to come, it's the business that owns its own brand, that's developed its own products that that has a community around it, uh, rather than just you know drop shipping the the latest gadget from uh, AliExpress or something. And and not that there's anything wrong with with doing some drop shipping, or if you have your own products, kind of filling in some gaps with other people's products and things like that. But if all you're doing is selling other people's products, if all you're doing is drop shipping, then you're just vulnerable. You're you're in a spot where you know it's easy for someone else to to sneak in and steal your customers. Potentially, it's easy for lots of other people to, to start selling exactly what you sell. You just don't have much control there. And so I think the days of being just a drop shipper, while they're, they're maybe not over, I, I just don't see, I, I wouldn't get excited about a drop ship only business. Any Anything uh, you would add to that, Chris? No, I think you're right on there. It's I think whenever we get leads that come in that are drop ship. I, I sometimes have to guard myself just to immediately write them off because occasionally there are some good ones that have some some good margins, but it's just one that, you know, if you're an agency that that is listening to this podcast, it is one you want to really make sure you vet out really well and, and make sure that there is enough of room there to to be able to move move the needle in, in, a, in a solid way. Yep. Yep. All right, X factor number four that separates the successful e-commerce companies from unsuccessful. Number four is you. Number four is don't fall in love with your own idea, your own products that you can't make solid market adjustments or solid marketing decisions. And I think the easiest way to give you kind of a for instance on this I mean, anybody who's ever seen Shark Tank, and I think if you're an e-commerce owner, it's definitely a show that you've got to tune into at least at least for a season and, and check it out or, or check the, the past seasons. But you've all, all seen those people that come into the Shark Tank and they're so enamored with their idea that they fail to take any solid advice from the shark seriously. I mean, here is this panel of multimillionaires, successful people who have been through this probably hundreds of times. And you can just see they're so driven. They're so, in, in some cases, fooled 
by either, either some early success or comments they've had from people, but they fail to look at what the market, when you really go to go out there and market to the, to the whole U.S. or worldwide, wherever you market, things are going to be a lot different from maybe the early success you had locally or, or regionally. And even if you've had pretty good sales to a certain point, to be able to go to that next level, you've got to be able to be open-minded on shutting a particular product down, moving away from a particular concept or idea that that has worked. I, I give you a recent story that was a real head scratcher for us, and I won't give the client's name, but but it is somebody who actually might be on Shark Tank in the future based on what what we know. And this was a individual that. I think really should be selling directly, should not at least right now be selling on other marketplaces, could be Walmart, could be Bed Bath & Beyond, could be other marketplaces that are that are selling a services target, whoever it may, may be. And the position this individual was in was he was not offering as good of a program as his distributors were offering. The distributors were offering free shipping, but this individual, you had to do all of these complex upsells that I, I thought was a head scratcher. Why, why would I want to add this additional just to get the free shipping? When if I Google this particular product name, I'm going to see that I can get free shipping from the distributor, which this individual makes a whole lot less margin from. And so the advice we had was, at least offer something as good as your distributors are offering. So at least you even the playing field, because in this case, we were competing against major national brands that every time we made certain adjustments, they would make adjustments as well. And that's just one example. There's a lot of ways that we can fall in love with an idea, fall in love with something that we're doing from a campaign perspective and it can really cloud our thinking. So I just think on this one, make sure that you're not too in love with a particular thing in your business that you can't be pulled away from or your pride won't let you let your guard down on that a little bit. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, you know, Gary Vee talks about uh, being romantic. You know, I'm, I'm romantic about the way things used to be or I'm romantic about the way I want this idea or this product to work. Or, you know, I like the analogy of, of kids too. You know, you know, some parents can't see any fault in their kids, you know, or, or use a sports analogy because parents are well, so speak for Well, speak for yourself, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you're, the brewer kid, the brewer kids are perfect. The curry kids yeah. are, are not. Uh, well, the, the odds are much better in my favor. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Two versus eight. I think I've, I've got a little bit better odds to have perfect children. Yeah. In, in eight, there's going to be, there's going to be some odd balls in there for sure. Uh, but you know, pe people like when it comes to sports, they feel like, you know, my, no, my kid's game is perfect. My kid's golf swing is perfect. Or my kid's jump shot is perfect. And, and we know that's not true. And, and so, yeah, being able to be objective about your own ideas, your own business, it's tricky and it, it takes skill and it takes, I think, putting the right people around you for advice. So yeah, I love, I love that one, Chris. That's awesome. So, okay. Number five, I believe it is. Uh, number five, the X factor that successful e-commerce businesses really focus on is the activities that will maximize lifetime value of a customer. So not just speaking about 
lifetime value. Although what's crazy, this this continues, well, maybe it shouldn't shock me anymore, but we talk to so many people that have no clue what their lifetime value of a customer is. And which, which by the way, um, Google now has a tool and we can help with this where if you are willing to share some of your uh, cart data, so an export from Magento, an export from Shopify or BigCommerce or wherever, they can match that up with your Google Analytics data and give you what they believe is your lifetime value of a customer, which is pretty awesome. But the successful companies, they are invested in activities to maximize lifetime value. So those companies are looking at, at email marketing programs and not just a blast, uh, you know, email blasting once a month for some big sale, but actually cultivating through the email list. So educational emails and storytelling emails and emails that that are segmented and relevant. And we don't do email, by the way. Uh, we we just refer all that out, but we see the value. So someone who's investing in email, someone who's investing in Facebook Messenger, someone who's looking at you know a referral program uh, to get their they're good clients to refer other like-minded clients to them. Someone who's looking at, at all of the ways to grow lifetime value or, or how can I upsell and cross-sell? How can I build a, a list of people who bought one particular product but not a related product and how can I market that related product to them? So this to me is where so many businesses are sort of doing well that could be doing great if they focus on lifetime value. So building up that that toolbox of tactics and things that you're doing to build lifetime value. So uh, to me, this this also uh, allows you to be more aggressive on on the front end. So once you know your lifetime value and once you're very confident in your systems to maximize lifetime value, now you can spend a little more upfront to acquire a customer, right? You can spend a little more on your ad campaigns, be it be that Facebook or YouTube or Google or whatever, to attract a customer. And still one of my very favorite quotes, I believe this is a Dan Kennedy quote from, from long ago, but the person who can spend the most to acquire, to acquire a customer wins. So that really means, though, you know, if you can spend more, that means you're making more on the back end. So it's all about lifetime value. So maximize that LTV. Anything you'd add to that, Brewer? That's a good one. I'm going to come around to that as part of my last suggestion or, or last thing that we want to take a look at. The, the next one I have, which is number six, would be for the newbies out there. And I would say that you know, even if you're doing, in, in some cases, depending on your margins, even if you're doing just half a million dollars a year, this, this could be you. And that is hiring an agency too early. And this is one where I think I think you and I both are pretty feel feel pretty good about this because at least what we hear from people that call in, I, I think you and I both can agree we turn down more leads than we actually do business with. Yep. And the comments that that at least I hear on conversations are things like, wow, I really appreciate you shooting me straight on that, or man, I've never had an agency tell me that they're not a good fit for them. And what scares me about that a little bit is the people that hire those agencies too early. And because without casting judgment onto to other comp great, I'm sure great companies out there, it only takes one person at a great company to say, oh, sure, we can take care of you without really looking at, is this somebody who you're going to truly be able to get 
solid ROI from? And are they going to be able to stay with it and spend enough to acquire those customers to be able to scale the business? And one of the biggest reasons I caution people from hiring an agency too early in their e-commerce business is just the fact of education. You've got to educate yourself and not leave yourself open to get taken advantage of because there's plenty of folks, if you if you aren't educated, there's plenty of folks out there that can make things sound amazing. And I've always, when I was doing sales training in, in my younger years, I would always say selling is not telling. I think that was an old Brian Tracy thing that selling is not telling, but there's plenty of, of folks out there that will tell you whatever you wanna hear to go ahead and get your business. And so this is a tough one for us because we love to help. I love small businesses. I love helping people out. And we have some things to help the smaller companies, some setup only options. And your course with Ezra Firestone has been a good one that we've sent people to and things like that. But it, it really is a bit of paying your dues in this business. And if you pay your dues and get familiar with some of the key metrics, which I'm going to come back to later, then it will pay off for you. And at the very least, you can be equipped. I mean, another, I guess that you could call this a semi-plug. We try not to do this on this show, but we've got this thing called e-commerce accelerator for some of these companies that just want to learn because we've learned our own lessons with taking companies that are too early. And we really want to keep positive relationships. So the best thing that we can do and you can do is to educate yourself, make sure you understand these metrics and understand what your sales funnel is going to look like and where are the right places to get your traffic and what is your audience going to look like and, and who's gonna have the best potential to purchase and, and where do we need to be to be profitable and to scale? All of those things you need to be really familiar with. So make sure you're not jumping in to, to try and use an agency to kind of either save your business or to take it to that next level when you really haven't paid your dues and done the core foundational work of educating yourself about the basics. Love it. Love it. Number seven, you know, wouldn't be a complete e-commerce top 10 list if we didn't at least mention Amazon and talk Amazon strategies a little bit. So X factor number seven is uh, the successful e-commerce businesses have a smart Amazon strategy. And so uh, they've thought through, how are they going to approach Amazon? And usually uh, a smart Amazon strategy does not include ignoring Amazon or hoping that Amazon fails uh, one day or being overly dependent on Amazon, right? So there, there can be this, this mindset of we'll never be on Amazon, we'll always compete against Amazon. That can work in a few cases. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's completely invalid. There are some brands that, that have done that. Um, but but usually you need to, to leverage Amazon, right? There's so much traffic there. You know, 50% of all e-commerce sales are, are on Amazon. Uh, they just came out with their Q4 earnings and they grew 30 some percent, like north of 35% over the holidays. Just amazing uh uh, growth you can't really even wrap your brain around. And so you can't ignore Amazon, obviously, uh, but you need to have a smart strategy. So what, what could that look like? Well, uh, we know some clients who will sell a lot of their core products on Amazon. So some of their staple products, their bread and butter, their high volume products, but they'll keep a few that are exclusive to their site and they'll keep those and just sell those on their site. Or 
maybe as they release new products, uh, they'll be only available on their site for a period of time so that those early adopters, those good customers, they'll come to their site first and then they'll be available on Amazon. And also thinking about, you know, what, how is Amazon going to drive business to your site? And we, we've seen this a lot where if someone has a very successful Amazon business and a successful e-commerce site, if they ever run out of inventory on Amazon, they'll see a spike then on their site. Because what happens is someone goes to Amazon looking for a particular product, it's not there. Now they go to Google and look and try to find that product uh, at the retailer's website. So thinking through that strategy and, and really, you know, we, we love Amazon. That's been a huge part of our business over the last a uh, year and a half. It's really just been one of the one of the fastest growing areas of our business. You know, helping with organic listings on Amazon, helping with sponsored product ads and headline ads. So thinking about how is my product mix going to work best on Amazon? How is my ad strategy on Amazon going to complement what I'm doing off of Amazon? And so, so really being strategic and thoughtful on Amazon is huge. This is another area where. You need to be selling your own products. You know, if you're just doing retail arbitrage, if you're just, you know, buying someone else's product at a discount and trying to sell it on Amazon and there are other people selling the same product, it's really, I think the days of that being viable are, are, are near an end or, or over in a lot of cases. And so having that smart Amazon strategy is critical. Back to you, Brewer. Good. Number eight, let the customer win if you make a mistake. This one seems obvious, but again, even recently, we have seen this play out. Here's a for instance. Recent customer put a bunch of excess inventory online from a store that they kind of rebranded and shut down. Super deals, incredible product, but they didn't go in and change their free shipping option on those products. So it was a clearance sale. They didn't change it on the back end to add shipping to these low margin products. And it blew up all kinds of orders. Of course, we were running their campaigns. They got all kinds of orders. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, all of these products are ordered with, with free shipping. What are we going to do? And they asked us for advice and we just said, you know, let the customer win. I mean, you're rebranding and, and actually they had had some problems with a prior store with customer service. So they had to rebrand. So here we, here they are again. And we just said, let the customer win. You know, it was your mistake and you can engender really great goodwill here by, you know, as we used to say in a family entertainment business I was in, whenever people would get, mad, you'd say, just give them the pickle. So this is an example of just give them the pickle, you know, let them, let them have it. But they ignored what, what the if, advice. What if they don't like pickles? I'm confused by the, by the pickle. I have no idea. This, it, it was a terrible example, Brett. So <laughs> <laughs> why not give them an ice cream cone or something? Give it, a, a sucker I don't or something. Know. Okay. I don't, I yeah, pickle. It was right, sweet pickle. pickles. It's okay. a sweet pickle. Gross. Okay. So, but they ignored the advice and we actually had one of our employees seal these, see these deals went in and bought one because he loved the product, went in and bought one. Well, they didn't know, of course, know it was one of our employees, but he comes in and, and shares this email with one of our project managers that says, 
they actually emailed me and asked if they could bill my credit card for $4.99 for shipping. Uh oh. <laughs> and so we were like, oh my gosh, how many of these did they send out? Well, that's just one of those that's easy. Let the customer win because now what's going to happen is that customer is going to not feel good about it. Even if they do pay it, they're probably never going to order from them again. Yep. It, it will likely affect how they review the product. They could love the product, but their review could reflect on the, the whole shipping debacle. So that one don't need to say too much more about that. But if you are facing this situation or you're going to face it, take the hit do what you need to do and let the customer win. And actually it can turn out to be a bigger win in the future. If you let, let them do that because you'll create a loyal customer. Yep. We, we've seen that time and time again, where if you fix a problem, if you own your mistake, if you make good on it, if you give them the proverbial pickle, I'm still confused about that. But uh, if you give the client what they want, yeah, sometimes the relationship after that can be even better than it is before, but not if you turn around and try to bill them for shipping when you said it would be free. That's just, that's bad. Okay. Uh, so number nine, man, we've flown through this list. Number nine is the successful companies diversify traffic. And this is one of those things where we have companies coming to us all the time and say, hey, I'm, I'm like 95% Facebook or almost all of my sales are on Amazon. You know, how do I, how do I diversify? And, you know, our philosophy is even though we were kind of a Google agency first, we're, we're just believers in whatever works. Like what, what, what works, what moves the needle for your business? That, that's what we're a fan of. But diversifying traffic. So if you've been a, a search, a primarily a search-driven business, how can you layer in Facebook? If you're not doing much on Amazon, how can you layer in Amazon? And, and what I always recommend as you look at adding new channels, uh, new uh, sources of traffic, is start with that new source of traffic at the bottom of the funnel. So as an example, let's say you are primarily an Amazon and a Facebook business right now. So most of your leads come through uh, Facebook ads and a lot of your sales are on Amazon, but you've got a, you've got a, a website as well. So what I would recommend is that you start with branded campaigns, remarketing, you know, long tail queries, long tail Google shopping. If you're new to Google, but you've been successful on Facebook and Amazon, then start with bottom of funnel Google. Get that built out. Get your remarketing ads built and those basic campaigns built. And then as you get success there and start to build up your audiences on Google, which you can leverage and maximize and, and start to get some conversion success and make sure your tracking is working and all that, then you go higher in the funnel uh, with your campaigns. Uh, I would suggest the same thing if you're primarily a Google-driven business going to Facebook. So as you branch out into Facebook, do remarketing first. So start with those remarketing campaigns, the you know the dynamic product ads on Facebook for for remarketing, and then start to go up the funnel. So with new channels, start bottom of funnel and work your way up. But please don't ever get to a point where you're just dependent on one or two sources of traffic. You never know what's going to shift or change or what's going to stop working or you never know what Facebook audience is going to kind of dry up or what Google change may force you to shift gears. And so diversify traffic. It's super important. There's one major thing that was not mentioned here and I want to make sure we mention it because it's one that you and I see repeatedly. It's one that 
it's an area that we started our roots as an agency on. It's something that that we know very well. We have an entire department dedicated to it. However, I have been shocked, and you know that I've moved into e-commerce really over the last three years. I was heavily involved with local, national, small businesses, franchise groups for, for many years. And one of the things that really surprised me is local and national non-e-commerce companies, they live, eat, and breathe SEO. They know what SEO does for their business. They know it's something they need to invest in, and they know how it can drive traffic. So surprised how many e-commerce stores I talk to, and when I bring up my little report and I run their domain and I see what they rank for, and many times I see opportunities, bottom of page one, top of page two, middle of page three, huge organic traffic terms that if they just paid a little bit of attention to their SEO, they could drive really solid additional increases in their traffic. So I would say layer in SEO for e-commerce. And it, it, it's definitely one that a lot of folks, they just don't know about, or they've heard the rumors that SEO is dead. Well, let me just say that the reports of SEO's death have been highly overrated. And if you don't pay attention at some point to your organic growth with a solid SEO strategy, you're, you will never achieve a true full funnel scaling of your business. Completely agree. And it's one of those things where, you know, good SEO is just kind of, it's chipping away at it. It's doing a lot of little things right over and over again. It's good. It's good content. It's good structure. It's good data. It's good clean code. But that that kind of stuff, it, it can really just leverage everything else, right? If you have good organic traffic, now you've got more people to add to your remarketing list. Now you've got more people to build similar audiences with or lookalike audiences with on Facebook. And so it, it is, I think it's, it's absolutely, um, surprisingly, one of those overlooked sources of traffic. You know, probably back in 2010, we were getting started. That, that's, that was one of the biggest areas of focus for most people because there was still quite a bit you could do with, with SEO at that time to kind of game the system. You kind of, you kind of trick Google into ranking your site. Well, well those days are over, but organic traffic is still huge and it's still so powerful. So yeah, really glad you brought that up. That, that, is, a, that is an area that a lot of people are missing, that the best e-commerce companies are, are at least beginning to invest some resources in. So, all right, number 10. All right, let's bring this home. Bring it home. Here we go. Okay, now this will be a little fun one. So this is one that you can kind of, if you got a little notepad in front of you or you're sitting somewhere or if, if you're one of those people who can add numbers in your head, which I'm amazed at people who can do that. We're going to have a little fun with this last one. Number 10, embrace even, I dare say, obsess over metrics. Now, Brett, neither one of us are really numbers guys, but we get metrics and I'm very comfortable jumping into Google Analytics and doing some searches and doing some comparisons and showing people, hey, do you know this metric or did you miss this key area? And so here's a list of 10 key metrics. And, and this is just a little test. Let's see how we're, we are on, on the scale. And I actually put some fun titles to this. So, so keep your score. Now, I, I do want to clarify something, Chris. I, I am pretty good at math. I, I actually like math a lot. I'm just not good at accounting. 
I'm not an accounting guy. Accounting really, uh, yeah, it bothers me. It's important, but it bothers me. So anyway, back to well, that. I'm so bad at it. I try to lump everyone into that box. Okay. So okay, good. All right. here's, here's the e-commerce metrics that you should be tracking, that you should be able, I mean, imagine this. Let's say that you are going to be on Shark Tank next week. These are the metrics you want to know if you're going to be on that show. And these are the metrics that you have to know if you want to be a truly successful e-commerce store. And here it is. Give yourself five points for every one of these that you can say, yes, I know this metric. Okay. There's a total of 50. Oh, sorry. See, I've already messed 50. up. There's Whoa. a total of 100. <laughs> There's a hundred because I have 10. See, I'm just showing you. All right, here we go. Average acquisition cost. Not not a hundred questions. There's a total of a hundred points. Is that hundred points. hundred points. Yes. We will not be here till another three hours. Average acquisition cost. Give yourself five points. If you know that customer lifetime value. Brett talked about that earlier. If you know your customer LTV, five points for that. Average order value. What's your average order value? Five points for that. Retention rate and share of repeating customers. That's one not too many people are going to have a five on, I bet you. Retention rate and share of repeat customers. Next one's conversion rate. Next one's average margin. This one a lot of folks know because the stats and the plugins are good for it. Cart abandonment rate. What's your cart abandonment rate? Three more. Refund and return rate, five points if you know that. Your support rate, what are the amount of support inquiries that you are fielding? The last one, the best performing products and categories. Again, most of you will probably know that. So here's a score. Add those up, total those up, hopefully you kept a running total. Zero to 15, rank amateur. You got a lot of work to do, rank amateur. 20 to 40, you're an e-commerce newbie. Whether you've been at it a while or not, you're an e-commerce newbie. 50 to 70, you're an up-and-coming star, and, and Brett would love to talk to you on the next podcast. Yeah. 80 to 100, e-commerce pro, for sure. So that's my list. Hopefully, you can go back, listen to the podcast, take note of those, just have some fun. Go in and figure all of these up. If you'll just sit and figure all of these up, you will make some great finds in your business. I guarantee it. Yeah, I love that. And I'm really glad you you went through that in detail. And, and you know, really, if you look at what what's going to make you successful, it's finding ways to improve each of those metrics, right? And, and maybe you can't tackle all of them at once, but beginning to do little things, little things to improve the card abandonment rate. So if I don't have my email sequence for card abandonment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set that up. If I have poor LTV or if I just feel like I'm not being proactive with LTV, I'm going to set up a referral program and I'm, I'm going to create my uh, segmented email campaigns on a month in and month out basis. And I need to know my conversion rate. I need to know my conversion rate by traffic source and begin to make decisions that way. So I, I love that. Those metrics, I mean, if you're not measuring it, then you really stand no chance of, of improving it. So fantastic job. That's that's awesome. Well, Chris, uh, man, it's been fun. We'll have to do this again sometime. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, I had a I had a great time. Uh, I'm glad that there there was not any bellicose 
situations that you and I came <laughs> came into today. Belly. Now I think you are just making up words. I, you stumped me on that one. I have no idea what bellicose means. Well, uh, I, I look it up. I think you'll be impressed. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, I'd love to come back any other time and 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 contribute or just you know be the uh, the peanut gallery. Yeah, and we can we can uh, explore fun with vocabulary words. Uh, some more that could that could be a running segment on oh yeah on our show. we should get at least five downloads on that one yep yep exactly exactly so awesome well as always thank you guys so much for tuning in really appreciate it uh let us know what you'd like to hear more of give us some topic ideas if you know of a fantastic guest that should be on this show let me know i would love to hear about that uh, and as always if you are digging this show please leave us that five star review if you're so inclined in iTunes. That does help more people discover the show. And so until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.